Grammar Girl here. Hi, I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about and or. That's and slash or. And a tidbit with some useful and funny made-up words. First, Kelly asked whether and or in a subject makes the verb singular or plural. For example, what verb should she use in a sentence like this? This message and or attachments is confidential? Or this message and or attachments are confidential? You'd be hard-pressed to find a style guide that doesn't admonish you to drop the and or and rewrite the sentence with just and or just or. If you feel you must use and or, my non-scientific survey of professional writing shows that you probably want to treat and or as though it makes the subject plural. For example, Kelly's sentence would read, this message and or attachments are confidential. Usually, rewriting the sentence with or better reflects the meaning you're trying to accomplish with and or, but sometimes people try to add clarity by adding or both to the end of the sentence as in, this message or attachments or both are confidential. In Kelly's case, a slight rewrite using the word and is probably the better choice. This message and any attached files are confidential. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Whenever possible, avoid and or, but if you must use it in the subject of a sentence, treat the subject as plural. For your tidbit, I have four much-needed new words to describe money and business matters, an excerpt from Lizzie Skernick's book, That Should Be a Word. It's a standing joke among my friends that not one of us got the joke of the restaurant Nacho Mama's before we were in our 20s. I also count significant delays in picking up on the following— a local restaurant called The Barge Inn that I had pegged as nautical— the double entendre of TV's Queer as Folk, numerous NPR shows, though why did they never use As It Happens, the movie Just Cause, and Hair Salon's Beyond Number. Trust for success? Well, I did get that one right away. It's no coincidence, of course, that puns, rhymes, and double or triple meanings abound in places that want to be welcoming. It's hard to find a title in a magazine that's not wordplay. That's because a title or name serves as an introduction, literally a welcoming sign, suggesting that the people who propose to provide your reading matter, serve you their strange food, cut your hair, and tell you dire news on war, GMOs, and indie bands are not only funny, but they can make fun of themselves. DARPA, on the other hand, is not called the Gunderminer. When I started churning out entries for the New York Times Magazine column, That Should Be a Word, readers sought not only wordplay, but words about obscure feelings that nonetheless loomed large. A chocolate chip cookie that turns out to be raisin, bit rail. The slew of child-related media, bornography. The family member who always has to fix the computer, domestic. A story began to emerge— there was food, ingestigation, marriage, martyrimony, identity, me-spoke, emotion, dramaneering, tech, fidgetal, and work and money, banked, each deserving of its own chapter, subjects that had already fattened dictionaries but nonetheless needed more words to fully describe them. And it's this multiplicity, one word that melds other words into something greater than its parts— 
that makes a good neologism both a necessity and a joy. Neologisms are words we scrape up from existing words to reflect our own many-layered behaviors, how our behavior and lives have intertwined in unexpected ways. In this book, you'll see how these words themselves tell a story of our culture. Some words, like sentimental, the feeling of hearing an old Barbara Streisand song, were a bit too specific. I've no doubt we could find even more cultural trends for expansion. Gaming, horticulture, sports, organized crime, and other areas I know nothing about. There's an entire book for the names IKEA products actually should be called, I'm sure. But words, after all, are a conversation. I'll leave that to you. Here are four new words from That Should Be a Word that will help you describe situations related to money and finances. Bankst, a noun, which means stress over diminishing funds. Here's an example. Topher read the ATM printout carefully filled with bankst. That couldn't be only two zeros, could it? Spendicant, a noun. It means cheapo mooch, and here's how you could use it. It was ridiculous that the head of the lab, who brought in a million dollars in grants every year, was such a spendicant, but Jules and Fran had become used to getting stiffed on bringing him lunch. Fudget, a noun. That means poorly estimated expenses. Here's how you could use it. Yoon hoped his partner wouldn't notice a few missing items and hedged amounts on what had become one of his clumsier Halloween costume fudgets. And finally, debt cetera, also a noun. It means a fuzzy amount of money one owes. Here's how you'd use it. Armand noted that his bank account registered several checks, late fees, withdrawals, and other various debt cetera that he'd ignore again later. And that was an excerpt of That Should Be a Word by Lizzie Skernick, included here with permission from Workman Publishing. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, author of seven books about language, including Grammar Girl Presents, The Ultimate Writing Guide for Students. You can find that book at your favorite bookstore, and you can find transcripts of today's podcast segments at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>